0: Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I'm so glad to be here with you tonight as we continue our series Bad Attitudes. What a joy it is to be with you on Monday night and what a joy it was last night. We gathered together in person and online for our first full in-person worship service and we started a series on the B attitudes, thinking about what it looks like to be in God's kingdom. As we continue the series we started last week though, we're thinking about the opposite. What does it look like to have a Mindset that isn't in line with the kingdom. Because the challenging thing is, while, while I like to think that, that I fit into the Beatitudes, I have that kingdom mindset. A lot of times I find when I, I actually start turning through the pages of the scripture and I, I'm, I'm looking and I'm seeing what the different people that have interacted with the Lord over time have done. You know what I find? I find oftentimes I look like the people with bad attitudes. And, and yet we see God's grace throughout the scriptures, and we're going to see that tonight. So if you would, if you haven't already, if you'd consider giving us a like or a share and let people know that we're in this series, I think sometimes it's helpful to hear about how people mess up and how God calls us into his faithfulness, and he's there for us. So let's go ahead and come before our God as we open tonight, and then we'll dig right in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for letting us gather as a church, whether it's online or in person. And thank you for being patient with us when we we miss the point. Lord, would you direct our hearts that we would see the point. We would see what you call us to do. We would see who you are and who you've made us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, last week we found ourselves in Genesis. This week we're flipping over to Leviticus, where we run into a very interesting story, kind of a shocking story, about two of Aaron's sons. And we'll get to that in a moment. But to set the context, this is when the people of Israel have made the Exodus out of Egypt, and these people are out there in the wilderness, and the Lord is starting to teach them what it looks like to be God's people. And part of that is he's introducing the sacrificial system, the the system that will ultimately go into the temple. And it's a system that starts to give us a picture of our sin and how it separates us from from God and ultimately prepares us to understand what Jesus is going to do on the cross. And so it is in Leviticus chapter 9, and we'll think more about that in a moment, that the people witness the very first sacrifice, Aaron and his sons have been set apart by the Lord to be the priestly family, and that line will go down through the whole time that the temple is operating. They see all that, and then something starts to go awry. Not surprising, right? Because we're human beings, and if we have the opportunity, we seem to find those ways to make things go awry. But isn't it interesting how we do that when it comes to God? And we do that oftentimes because we're so focused on what we want and where we want to go. It sort of reminds me of what it might be like if you imagine, for example, that say next week, if you could find one, you went and bought a new car. And you go and you buy that new car and you pay over sticker, which I hear is what's happening right now. So you go and you pay over sticker, but you have this beautiful new car. It has that wonderful new car smell. Everything's nice and shiny. There isn't a dent or a scratch or anything wrong with it anywhere. And then you get a call from a friend and your friend needs to borrow your car. How do you feel about that in that moment? Now, now maybe you're a bit of a bigger person than I am and you think, oh, that's great. I'm so glad I have this blessing of this car. I'm going to hand it out. No problem. I'd be a little nervous because I'd be thinking, this is my brand new car. Everything's perfect about it. That person isn't going to drive it as carefully as I am. That person isn't going to to park it as far away as I would. That person might not make sure that his shoes are clean before he gets in the car so that that nice new carpet stays nice and new. And can you imagine if you then lend out your car that that a few hours later you hear this screeching sound and your car comes swerving into the driveway, mud all over it, and your friend gets out with a half-eaten box of pizza. You you stick your head in the car. It smells like pizza. It doesn't smell like a new car anymore. We wouldn't really want that, would we? Why? Well, it's not because the car is poorly built and we're afraid that if someone pushes it a little bit, it's just going to fall apart. It's because we value nice new things that we get. And especially when we plunk down a ton of money for it, we we want people to care for it. We care for it. But why is it so often then that we're nonchalant about how we care about interacting with God? We get wrapped up in all sorts of things and, and God's somewhere in there, hopefully, for us. And yet, and yet not the way we are when we bought that brand new car, but maybe the way of that, that friend that just got out of the brand new car with the pizza that he's been eating as he's been driving and the mud all over the car and so on. He knows about the car, he used the car, and, and thankfully it's still there in one piece, but he didn't care about the car. Well, if if we can care about material things that much, how much more should we care about the one who made all those things? And that's the problem we encounter in Leviticus chapter 10. So let's go ahead and take a look at verse 1 with me, if you would. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it. And laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. And so they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not let your, the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and the wrath come upon all the congregation, but let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And Do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of of Moses. That's quite a story, isn't it? it? Again, imagine the first sacrifices have just taken place. We're not told exactly how much time elapses, but we're we're right in the midst of that that first set of sacrifices. And, and in the midst of that, we have these two sons of Aaron, and they go and they seem to be doing priestly things. They they fill their their censers the, that they'd use to to put the incense out, and they seem to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. And yet we're told that they use unauthorized fire. And because they use unauthorized fire, the Lord sends his fire down and kills them. Now we might ask the question, what is this unauthorized fire? Or sometimes you'll see it translated or referred to as strange fire. What in the world is that? And are, are we guilty of, of using strange fire? here's the challenge for us, I, I think, and, and it's one that that can really kind of throw us for a loop as we interact with these things, and that's that we often care more about what we think about, even when it comes to God, than what God cares about. And I believe that's the challenge that we're going to see as we think about these two sons of Aaron. These two sons of Aaron, and by and large, a lot of the people of Israel, and by and large, a lot of us today, and probably even, we should say, all of us at times, are more wrapped up in our own thoughts than the thoughts of God. If only it weren't that way. But, but we're called by scripture to find ourselves back at his word and caring about what God cares about. And what God cares about is that we focus our hearts on what true holiness looks like. Now, the scriptures don't tell us exactly what it is that Aaron's sons were doing. It was unauthorized. It wasn't what God had called them to do, but we're not told the specifics. And and there's different ways that people have read this passage and and tried to figure out exactly what this strange or unauthorized fire might be. Now we have a hint, perhaps, in verse 8, so let's go take a look. It says, And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations." You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and, and between the unclean and the clean." Now, now, this could just be an insertion, this could just be further instruction from the Lord, but many commentators have looked at this and said, the fact that the Lord goes straight to this commandment about drunkenness in the midst of this may suggest that these two sons of Aaron were imbibing too much prior to offering a sacrifice. Now, that might sound strange, they're right in the midst of a ceremony, but we have to remember they're coming from Egypt, they're coming from a a world, not just in Egypt, but their whole surrounding culture in in the Near East was interested in having priests seek ecstatic experiences. Actually, you see that in many different cultures. And one of the things that a priest might do is actually intentionally get drunk in order to have some sort of revelatory experience that they might attribute to a god. And it's quite possible that that not just out of pure carelessness or or alcoholism or or anything like that, but out of maybe an intentional direction following the culture, the Sons of Aaron had become drunk before they they did this fire. And they didn't use authorized fire, but unauthorized. And it may have come down to, in some sense, the way they were preparing because they were drunk while they were doing it. Now, it doesn't say that, but it seems like a, a pretty good possibility. And here is the problem. And and, and we can say this much more definitely, even if they weren't in fact drunk. But the one thing that the Lord wants Aaron to hear here is that as his other sons and as Aaron himself go and serve as priests, they're called to do so in a way that isn't just going through some machinations of, of offering some incense and some sacrifices and lighting fires and so on. But being the spiritual leaders of the people of God, they're going to communicate what's true about God to the people of Israel. And they can't do that if they're drunk. They can't do that if they're intoxicated in any way. They need to be able to be accurate. They need to distinguish, it says here, between the clean and the unclean. They need to be able to take the law of God that God is giving them and accurately convey it to the people of Israel because it's their job to convey that from God to the people, to allow the people to experience the holiness of God and to be right before God. That's what they've been set apart to do. And whether they're actually drunk or it was some other issue, part of the problem for Nadab and Abihu is that they haven't been focusing on what God's actually told them to do in a way that allows them to do it clearly and cleanly. They haven't seen the true holiness of God in some sense. And so in doing this, while it seems like it might just be a technicality, oh, they didn't quite get the incense right, and so God sends down fire upon them, it seems to be a much bigger issue. It seems to be that they aren't really taking seriously in some regard their job to, to actually communicate God's word faithfully. That's something that we're all called to do. It's one of the reasons why scripture calls us again and again not to become drunk not to intoxicate ourselves notice here the lord doesn't say to aaron and his sons they they can't drink any wine what does he say he says they shouldn't become drunk and they should they should be wise about when they use things that could potentially intoxicate them so they don't accidentally do something wrong And, and in that then we see a principle that goes throughout scripture scripture doesn't for example condemn wine jesus drinks wine but He doesn't encourage drunkenness. He doesn't permit drunkenness. Scripture is very clear that we should say of a sober mind. And why should we do that? Because God's spirit is dwelling in us. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He reiterates this again in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were were bought with a price. So, glorify God in your body. Aaron's sons weren't glorifying God in the tabernacle, the, the portable version of the temple that Israel first has. And Paul later says, That same sense of holiness that we should come to before the temple. Well, now that the Spirit dwells in us, guess where that temple is? The temple was the temple on the Temple Mount because that's where God's Spirit dwelt. God's Spirit dwells in each believer. Anyone who follows Jesus, who who declares him his or her Lord, what do we receive in return? God places his Spirit in our hearts and we need to treat our own bodies and our own lives in a way that recognizes that God is in us. So that same command here that goes to Aaron goes to each of us. And you might say, well, but, but I'm not a priest. I'm not offering sacrifices or burning incense or doing anything like that. And that's true. But what do we do? Well, we interact with other people and we represent God to those other people. We show them what the Lord looks like and who he is. We need to be of sober mind and be able to do that. And it's not purely about alcoholic beverages. It's not purely about other intoxicating substances, although certainly it is about those. Christians have no business choosing to become intoxicated. But we need to look at all the other ways that we can potentially become intoxicated. It can be intoxication of pride in our own hearts. It can be intoxication with power. We're, we'll do anything for power and in that are blinded towards God's truth. Or politics. There's so many things in life that can intoxicate us in one way or another. And the clear thing is we need to keep ourselves grounded in God's word. We need to keep being attuned to God's spirit. And, and whether it's an actual substance that can alter our minds, or it's an idea or ideas that we want to latch onto that start to, to fill the place that God should be in our lives. Any of those things. We should flee them and turn back to the Lord. Now, this is a pretty negative read, admittedly, on what happens with with Aaron's sons. And so you might say, well, if, if the scripture doesn't say exactly what this strange fire is, Tim, are you sure that you should be beating up on them so much? Maybe maybe they weren't drunk. Maybe this was just an additional instruction. Well, there is a, another possible positive way we could, we could read this. And we get a hint of that if we go to Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. This is right as the first sacrifice takes place. It says, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. The people experienced the holiness of God. And in a sense, you can say very clearly, they see it too here in chapter 10 that we've been looking at. They see the fire of the Lord come down, but consume Aaron's sons. But before that, they saw the fire of the Lord come and consume the offerings on the altar. And they're overwhelmed. They fall on their faces. They, they're they encountering the God of the universe and they realize that he's holy. And holiness can be scary. And it seems like another possibility on what Aaron's sons are doing is that they see the people's fear and maybe they fe- feel that fear themselves. They, they go back once again in a different way to their past culture. You see, these censers that they were using to put out incense were used by Egyptian priests as well. Maybe not, not necessarily the exact literal ones they're using, but censors like it. And, and these Egyptian priests would use it, for example, to guard the people against demonic forces. They'd put out this incense that was supposed to protect the people. And, and perhaps what happens is that Aaron's sons see this holiness of God, this consuming fire, and and they think, well, We're not quite sure how this all works, but we do know that back in Egypt, the priests there would use these censers and and it would put some kind of protection around the people. So we're going to put out incense. It's possible they were doing that. Maybe they weren't trying to intentionally buy into some some kind of unholiness, but maybe instead they bought into a cultural false holiness. They saw what priests did outside of God's people and they were bringing that in. Both of these errors, this this error of, of just allowing ourselves to be completely unholy before God and buying into a cultural false holiness are things that God's people struggle with all the time. And so whichever one it was that they were falling into, certainly what we can say is that they were falling into something probably fed by the culture they'd come from that led them to either take God's holiness not seriously enough or to seek the wrong answers for how to interact with God's holiness. They weren't supposed to go look and see what Egyptian priests that worshiped false gods did to understand what holiness was and how you interacted with it. And they certainly weren't supposed to be nonchalant and, and driving that new car of the sacrificial system recklessly with mud flinging everywhere as they got drunk as they offered the sacrifice. That's a challenge for us as well. We, we may not do those two literal things, but we fall into both of those challenges Let's touch on one that, that, that probably all of us who spent some time in the church will wrestle with at some point, and that's how do we do worship? We just had our, our first in person worship service at Little Hills last night, and, and the challenge when you're planning a worship service is that we bring an awful lot of different ideas on what we think a worship service should look like. Should it be hymns? Should it be contemporary? Should it be in a, a church with beautiful stained glass and pews? Should it be with movable chairs? Should it have light? Should it not? Should there be fog? Should there be this? Should there be that? There's all kinds of different things that people wrestle with. One of the challenges, I, I think, is that most of us are going to come to worship with one of two things in mind. The first one may be, worship should look like what I grew up with. Whatever I've experienced in church, that is capturing holiness, and, and so the worship services i go to are holy if they look like what i've experienced before or on the other hand you have a bad experience in your past with church and whatever looks like what you experienced in worship before shouldn't be in worship right now we carry those two things and and what we have to see is that oftentimes most of the time we're carrying an awful lot of our own culture with us it, for example Many of us grew up with an organ in church, and so we think of an organ, and it seems like it somehow conveys holiness, and yet an organ didn't exist in Jesus' day. It didn't exist in the days of the psalmist. It didn't exist at the time that Aaron and his sons were offering sacrifices. On the other hand, we might look at a service that has certain parts in it, like a time for confession of sin, and we think back to to very structured services we grew up in the past. We think that's just hindering the spirit. It's in the way. It should be free-flowing. It shouldn't have these different aspects to it. And here's what we need to challenge ourselves regardless is what is it that's in my heart that that I'm carrying because of my past church experiences, or if I haven't had much in the way of church experiences, my past experiences in the culture at large, and I'm applying that into my understanding of whether a church service is holy or not. Might be instruments, decor, a million other things but we need to actually focus on what God calls us to do. And that's easier said than done, right? Because usually we think whatever we like is what God's called us to do. But certainly we should be on guard against it. And I think maybe part of the problem for Aaron's sons is they weren't. They they had their idea of what it should be and what they should do and what they should worry about. They weren't worried on what God worried about. And that gets to the real matter at hand, which is that God cares not only about his holiness and our care about his holiness, but he cares about the heart. We see that in verses 16 to 20. It says, Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burnt up, burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten of this sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation? to make atonement for them before the Lord. Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offerings and their burnt offerings before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, approved. That's the end of that particular part of the story so we can assume that the Lord doesn't object to what has happened any further. We're told that Moses approves and no more fire comes down from heaven or anything of that sort. So what's going on here in this second part of the story? Well the sacrifices have to continue. Moses instructs them from the Lord that they need to continue these sacrifices even though these two sons of Aaron have just died that that God has said this is the time they need to do it and they need to go on. And yet they miss out on part once again of what God has called them to do. These sin offerings that were offered for the people to atone for them, the priests were supposed to actually eat the part of the meat that was being sacrificed. It was cooked and then they were supposed to eat it. And Aaron and his surviving sons don't. And, and Moses is thinking here probably, brother, what's wrong with you? I'm going to lose my whole family here today if you don't start listening to what the Lord says, because clearly he told you what you were supposed to do with his offering, and you just let the whole thing be consumed. But why is Aaron not consumed? Why are his surviving sons not consumed, even though the Lord chose to do that with the other two sons? Well, I think it comes down to really, ultimately, the heart of Aaron and his remaining sons in this moment. We don't know exactly the full processing in his mind and heart that Aaron had as he chose not to eat this. He says, after what happened today, how could I possibly eat of it? And there could be several different ways that could play out. It could simply be of grief. He, He lost his appetite. He just lost his two sons. He doesn't want to eat anything right now. Or it could be Perhaps he felt unworthy. He he looked at his family. He saw that his two sons had just received God's judgment, and he didn't feel worthy to eat of this, even though he was the one called to do it. could even be a fear, again, drawing from the culture, that, that other priests also would sometimes eat of the meats being offered to gods. And he looked at it and thought, this isn't going to work out well for me. Because you see, why would a priest eat of this meat? It was so that they could, as Moses even says here, in some sense, atone for the people. And maybe Aaron thought that eating of the meat meant he was going to receive God's judgment for whatever the people had done, and he saw how angry God was with his other two sons and thought, there's no way I can possibly take on the sin of this people. Now, any of those things was a misunderstanding of what he should have done. God had told him to do this, so he should have done it, even if he wasn't feeling hungry. It wasn't about his hunger. And God hadn't said, if you're worthy enough, Aaron, you should do this, so it shouldn't have been about his unworthiness. And he was totally misunderstanding how the sacrificial system worked if he thought somehow he was going to receive all the judgment that people should have received because that would have incinerated every priest that ever served. It's about the heart here, though. Aaron isn't thinking highly of himself. He isn't building himself up. He's thinking, I'm not worthy. In some sense, he's whether it's wrapped up in grief and he's too distracted or not hungry and he's just torn up about his sons or or one of these other possibilities, what it comes down to is it's a much more humble situation than what we see with his two other sons. And that we see that time and time again in Scripture that God cares about the heart, and are we approaching him humbly even as we stumble and teeter and totter and mess things up? Korah's rebellion that occurs during this Exodus time as well comes down to the same thing. We see that in Numbers 16, verses 3 to 7. Says that that they assembled the people of Israel assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this, take censers, see we're back to the censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire in them, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow, and the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You've gone too far, sons of Levi. Well, what's going on here? Korah and those who follow him are, are looking at Moses and they say, well, Moses, you have your brother. He, he's You've made him the priest and his son's the priest and you're you're elevating your family. This looks a little bit corrupt, Moses. We're all holy. We're, we're told that we're a nation of priests, a holy nation. Why is it that they get all the special treatment they get to do all the special stuff? Well, the, the real answer was that God had set them apart. But, Korah doesn't like that. And why doesn't he like that? It's because he wants to elevate himself and have that important role himself. And ultimately, we see that story play out. They come the next day and they offer that fire. And then the Lord brings judgment upon Korah and his followers as well, and the earth swallows them up. Why? Why? Because they didn't have the right heart. Yes, Aaron and his remaining sons didn't always get the sacrificial system right. But what we see there. Is a difference of heart. It's when the, our hearts are, are focused on ourselves that the problem occurs, that ultimately that God then brings judgment. And we see that even in the case of Moses himself, someone whom God treated as a friend and, and spoke to face-to-face, we're told in a way that, that other human beings don't get to experience. In Numbers 20, we see the story of Moses Becoming so fed up with the people of Israel that he draws the attention to himself as water is provided by the Lord rather than towards the Lord. And in that moment, God brings judgment on him as well, says he won't enter the promised land. Now, he doesn't cut Moses entirely off. And we looked at that story a while back. There's actually some hope we can see there because ultimately Moses is going to encounter Jesus. But he does experience judgment in the moment. Because he allowed his heart to drift from focusing on the Lord and his holiness, something that Moses had done so many times. Instead, to his own aggravations and his own pride. He was tired of the people of Israel rejecting him. And there's where we need to ask ourselves what we're doing. Where is my heart fixed on itself rather than on the Lord? Where am I chasing after what God has said I should chase after? And where, instead, am I just seeking to elevate myself? I think that's what we see in these two sons of Aaron. Certainly what we see in the story of Korah in the story of Moses later on and in so many cases in the scriptures and in so many cases in our own lives. Sort of like when when we call up a friend that friend's been going through something awful and and I, I hate when I do this and I try very hard not to but I am ashamed to say that times I have. You call up someone you're trying to or you sit down with someone you're trying to provide them with comfort. But somehow, some way, you realize after a while you've been talking an awful lot more about yourself rather than the other person. So often as we even pursue God's holiness, we do the same thing. We say we're trying to to worship God faithfully and we're trying to do this and that for the Lord, and we realize somewhere in the way that we've been talking a lot more about what our heart wants and our own pride rather than what God wants. The real problem is that we elevate ourselves rather than elevating our holy God in our hearts. And as we do that, and as we fail to humble ourselves, we miss out on the benefits and the blessings of the holiness of God. And yet, when we come before him humbly, and we, we acknowledge our sin and our failure, what does he do? He elevates us and allows us to experience his holiness, not because we deserve it, not because we've been seeking out for ourselves, but because he loves us. May we all experience that love. That's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for me. May we come before our God humbly and experience the wonder that comes in knowing him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, so often we we come and we we may offer our own strange fire before you, offering what, what elevates ourselves, offering what we buy into from our culture, offering what we think is some sort of holiness, even though we aren't paying attention to what you say you truly value. May you help us to pay better attention to what you value rather than what we value in our own hearts. Would you help us to value you and your calling far more greatly than what we value of ourselves? And in that, would you allow us then to experience your grace and your mercy? We come before you and we see the the amazing, terrifying holiness of our God, and yet we see also the wonderful and tender love of our God. May we turn towards your love and and approach it, realizing we don't deserve it, and yet you give it. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do want to mention to you tonight, there are just a few things that are coming up that I can't wait to share with you in the coming days. On Sunday, we're going to have our second in-person service at 5.30 p.m. I do hope you'll join us for that as we continue our series blessed. And also at seven o'clock on Thursday, we have our continuing series uh, uh, in Romans and our men's Bible study. And then next Monday, of course, we'll be back here as we continue our series, Bad Attitudes. There's so much going on. I can't wait to share it with you. Please do consider sharing all this with your friends. Let them know what's happening here at Little Hills Church. It's a joy to get to share it with you. If there's any way I can be praying for you today, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave a comment in the comments below. I'll see you again next week. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week.